The 2-1 pitch. High fly ball is deep to left field. Way, way back is going. Yeah, there it goes. Mike Piazza, a three-run homer. Oh, my goodness. Where did that land? It hit the picnic tent beyond the left field bullpen, about halfway up on the picnic tent roof. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Flushing Transit Authority, the podcast where the D in JD stands for Gregory. (laughs) I'm Will Stegman, your co-host, here, as always, with Jay Bushman. Jay, how are you? I am very happy. It's time for our very first of the 2019 season, (laughs) New York Mets, excitement level check. Heat check. Where are you right now? Um, I am, I am, all right, I'm trying to be measured, but here's what I'll say. Last year we started 11 and 1. Mm-hmm. Now we're 7 and 4. Arithmetically, not as good, but I am a heck of a lot more confident and happy with what I've seen so far. If I go back to where we were at 11 and 1 last year, yeah. I'm pretty sure that we were backing up the truck yeah, and probably. heading. We should go listen to time for a Flushing Transit Authority flashback. Today we look back to 2018. Let's see what Will and Jay had to say about the start of the 2018 season. Probably something very measured and reasonable. Super excited and I want to strike while the exciting iron is hot. Let's talk about the amazing hot start of the New York Mets. Five and one, six games into the season. We are on a pace for them to go, I believe it's 145 and 17. Yes. Well, you know what? Not as quickly as you think. It just seems that way. They scuffled in May and they fell apart in June. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now I'm looking at this Let's, let's create the scale for this season. Okay. So, our scale for Mets success. Where are, is our excitement level? Are we at Anthony Young in the middle of his losing streak, or are we 1985 Dwight Gooden? You can pick your spots in between. Yeah. But where um, are we on the Anthony I'm Young to Doc say, scale? I'm going to say 1999 Rick Reed is where we are. I remember, I I should go back and try and figure out what game this was, but I remember I was living in Manhattan and there was a game where Reed was, took like a no-hitter probably into the seventh, maybe the eighth, and I was on the L train and I got off at every stop and ran up to the street so I could listen to like what had happened in the next battle. And while I was doing that, he lost the no-no. So how long did it take you to get home that day? Um, I don't remember. I don't didn't particularly care. Um, yeah. So so that's what I'm going to say. It's it's Rick 1999 Rick Reed, very high level of quality with the promise of something really really special. Okay. I like that. I was going to go I'm tempering my 
uh, excitement slightly. Okay. And I'm going, I'm not sure the exact year, but I want to say I'm going something like 1996 Rico Bronia. Okay. You know? Rico. Gets off to a hot start. Yeah. But I'm worried that injuries are going to set in. Sure. And things are going to happen. Sure, sure. Obvious. Pete Gonzo Alonzo. Gonzo Alonzo, I like that's, that. That's the, the obvious one. I mean, Pistol Pete has been used, even though it's, you know, it's been taken. But I right. think, you know, the statute of limitations right. is Pist- okay on that. Pete Maravich is no longer here sure. to uh, sure. to raise hell about that. In keeping with the, the growing animal theme, they have been calling him Polar Bear, which I can kind of see it doesn't really roll off the tongue. Um, it doesn't. Yeah. It, it, that said... I'm very excited. I have started, like, this very quickly has become yeah. Stop What You're Doing and Watch. Yeah. Um, last, uh, last Monday, uh, I was over uh, my friend Kerry's. We were watching, we were just flipping through games. You we were going between the um, uh, Red Sox game and then and switching over to the Mets. And Alonzo was coming up, and I just remember, like, oh, I'm very excited about this guy. Mm-hmm. And then he just crushes a home run. And um, we were doing a late fantasy baseball draft this year. We weren't drafting until the next day. Yeah. And it was like, oh, damn, now you know my draft strategy. Damn, <laughs> Just, yes. But I still managed to get him. Very happy about Good. it. Good. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm worried about the glove. But his bat's going to play. I am torn between two moments as my, so far, favorite Pete Alonzo moments of the season. One is that home run he hit a couple of days ago where he was totally like lunging for the ball, completely off balance. The wind was heavy blowing in. It looked like he was going to like hit a weak pop up to right field. And instead it goes out to dead center field. Now, for those of you, what does that happen? For those of you listening at home, Jay is motioning as if he is describing pulling a shark in. <laughs> like, it yeah. is, there is excitement. And the thing is, like, I have not felt that kind of excitement since Cespedes in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. But the other one that I think slightly edges it out because it's got a narrative to it. And you know how much I love, you know, the, the, the narrative angle is that first home run he hit. And that moment when he comes back into the dugout and he and Dom Smith are kind of like freaking out together. Yeah. I watched that replay 37 times. That was great. I also love Dom with the bandana. Yes. Dom with the bandana is a good look. Yes. And just, is Dom Smith always smiling? Always is when I see him. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, we, we talked about the virus the last few years and how like Reyes sort of dragged the team down and why was he still there but this reminds me of when Reyes first came up and he was just this this source of energy and excitement and he always had a smile on his face and he always looked like he was having a great time right and that's what Dom Smith is is radiating now even as a late inning defensive substitute and a, and a bat off the bench and yeah. a quality bat off the bench yeah. The, um, not to, again, I'm very high on Pete Alonso, not to make it all about that, but the other thing that I'm really enjoying is he seems to be the, the vocal leader that teams seem to like. You know, for the last, the Terry Collins regime, there wasn't really a player who stood up in the middle of the clubhouse and said, I'm the focus of attention. Yeah. Because David Wright wasn't playing, 
Yeah, and I think there's a sense that it's Wright's team and nobody wanted to step on his role. Right, and even when and it was Cespedes' team... And Cespedes is just not that guy. He's not that guy. In the same way Piazza was not that guy. Right, maybe Noah Syndergaard is that guy, yeah. but Noah Syndergaard is a little too much uh, of, a, of a loose cannon, yeah. and I, I love it. I love when he just rips the organization yes. Yes. and it's like, hey, why are we going to Syracuse? Yeah. Yeah, although um, I, I, I would say that I think there is no question now that this is Jacob DeBrom's team. Yeah, that he is the undisputed captain of this team. Right, um, and and that's cool to see. The other cool thing to see, he hasn't hit a ton yet, but it's totally obvious how much Robinson Cano is teaching and leading and showing, especially some of the young players, like how to play this game. I forget who it was um, that had a game-winning RBI a couple of days ago and mentioned that as he was coming up, Cano told him, hit it to right field. And so he hit it to right field, and then that's when the game. So, you know, that kind of stuff, that gets me really excited. Yeah. I what I What I think about when I watch this is... Is the plan working? Yeah. Is is the sure. is the Brody plan working, or is this a happy accident? Because remember, there are parts of this plan that are not in place right now. I'll go back to what I said last time when we were talking about one of the the, the things we were looking forward to this season, and one of the things that I was most looking forward to, and that has been happening so far, is the new hitting approach mm-hmm. and the make contact, get on base. Like a bunch of singles and doubles are a lot more exciting and productive than striking out 37 million times and waiting to hit a home run. And that's been working really, really well. And even more than that, the thing that I have found so encouraging is it's not just that they're hitting and it's not just that they're hitting in bunches. It's that they're hitting in bunches late. And they're not wasting at bats. I mean, how many times over the past several years have the Mets gone behind one nothing, 2 nothing, And the last six innings, they just don't hit. Yeah. And it's... so far, this team has hit in the seventh and the eighth and the ninth. And that is so thrilling. And it got, and it got me thinking about how, you know, we used to talk about how traditionally this franchise has been a pitching franchise. Mm-hmm. And what does it feel like when you're in a pitcher's duel? And the sense of, you know, it's a one nothing game, it's a 1-1 game, it's a 2-1 game, and how every pitch is fraught because one swing, you can lose a lead. Right. I think about how many times right. last year was Jacob DeGrom pitching with a lead. Yeah. Very few. Versus what does it feel like when you have confidence that your team can hit and score runs. And as Mets fans... If you're down three, two or three or four runs in the seventh or eighth, there's just this sense of, like, they'll find a way to do it. And it's only been 11 games. Yeah. But I don't remember in my adult life a Mets team where I felt confident, like, oh, they can score runs. Yeah, yeah. You look at this lineup, and, you know, it's early... Is J.D. Davis going to continue to produce this level? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, he's got some peripheral numbers that say he's going to crush lefties. Mm-hmm. So he's going to end up being a platoon guy. Um, we haven't even seen Jed Lowry yet. I forget he's. I forget yeah. him and Todd Frazier are, are yeah. on the roster. Um, 
But there are still some things that, you know, that need to be to fall into place. And we'll, we'll see. Is it a small sample size or is it for real? You know, Conforto's hitting. Um, Nimmo got off to a very rough start. The strikeouts with Nimmo are very troubling. Um, but I think there's enough offense on this team where even if he doesn't produce, um, there's enough options on this team. There's yeah. still the not great option of putting Dom Smith in the field, you know, in left field. Yeah, that's you know that's tough to ask for him because they just haven't given him the reps out there. Yeah. Um, and with Nimmo, I have to wonder if um, the first spring training where he wasn't fighting for a job mm-hmm. maybe altered his maybe you know his his preparation. Um, maybe that's something to learn from. Um, but he does look like he's coming out of it. Last couple and of games, he's been good. And here is. Here is the quote of the season so far. It's the one that I keep going back to over and over again. You can't sneak cheese past the squirrel. I mean, come on, that's just poetry. Chili Davis, the poet laureate of the Mets dugout. Like, I know Jeff McNeil doesn't love the nickname squirrel, but I think it's pretty great. And you cannot sneak cheese past the guy. I've never tried to sneak cheese past a squirrel. Well, you know, you uh, usually have some squirrels out by the out by the night pool. Yeah, if we got some squirrel. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, see what you can do. Report back. Yeah, that'll be a, that's a, yeah. a field yeah. experiment. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about um, Nimmo and the strikeouts. Again, let's just see how that shakes out. Mm-hmm. As far as like other concerns. Well, I mean, the biggest one. Is the bullpen always? But when is the bullpen not a concern? Every, comparatively speaking, um, not the worst in the division. Mm-hmm. As long as Washington's out there. Oh my God! So I have been discussing this with people um, online and another forum. So as we attempt to purge uh, offensive phrases and language from our everyday speech. You know, there's the old saw about, you know, describing something as being cursed. Right. And using the phrase built on an Indian burial ground, right. which is now offensive and it's, it's you know, uh, um, it's not cool. So I have started using to replace that in, in, you know, regular conversation. Instead of saying that, I've been saying built on top of the Washington bullpen. That is very timely, and also at this point, very leaky. Very leaky, very leaky. But here's the thing. Teams come and go, franchises rise and fall. Through it all, there's been one constant. The Washington bullpen is terrible. Like, from, you know, the people they have today, go all the way back to Drew Storen in 2015. Like, it's like whoever they shuffle in and out of there, they just take on the curse. I'm just glad that for once that the team I'm rooting for is not the one that's cursed. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, the difference with this Mets bullpen um, and previous Mets bullpens is this bullpen, they don't know that they're Mets. <laughs> you know, Familia does. Yes. But he's seen, he's seen some other uniforms. Yeah. You know, but your Edwin Diaz is like the new guys. They don't know. Yeah. They don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Pete Alonso doesn't know he's a Met. He just thinks he's a polar bear. They're having a good time. <laughs> yeah. If we yeah. trick them, if they don't, like, look, know your history, mm-hmm. but... Not, not too much. Yeah. Blaze your own trail, guys. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the bullpen's a concern. I'm concerned at the catcher spot. Um, just because Wilson Ramos has been great in the in the small sample size. But clearly the team wants to get Travis Darno some reps. Yes. And Travis Darno caught Jacob DeGrom and that the other night. Well. And you know what? Jake went almost a full year uh, without giving up. In fact, it was 364 days. It was, it was a day short of a year um, since the last time he gave up more than three runs in a game. It's it would be easy to blame Darno, and I w- I would not blame Darno. It was clear that that Degrom was. I understand why they're doing what they're doing, and if it works, it'll be a huge uh, check, a huge positive, because they're not just trying to get Travis going as catcher, but he they've been putting him at other positions. Yeah, and. You know, they've talked about it a lot on the broadcast about how teams don't carry three catchers anymore. And it makes sense why they don't carry three catchers. Mm-hmm. You know, that you'll get a lot more utility out of a single roster spot. But, man, that handcuffs you. And the, the number of times that they can't make substitutions because, well, they, you know, they're risking using their only other catcher. So, eventually, if they can get Travis going behind the plate and also have him be able to shift to third or first or something that lets them bring Nito back up and carry three catchers where you're carrying actually two and a half. Right. Um, and that gives them more flexibility. The, um, the hindrance to that is, you know, if they're going to continue to carry essentially two first basemen. Yeah. So some decisions have to be made. Yeah. I would not be shocked. This is the unpopular opinion. But I would not be shocked if at some point this season the league adjusts to Alonzo and they have to send him down. Even if it's just for a... Never. Never. Send, send him down to get his... make his adjustments. Um, I would not be shocked to see that happen. Are you saying that this tattoo is premature? Uh, no, no. I, I, I believe he will make those adjustments and come back with a vengeance. What about the cape? <laughs> the cape is, is solid. All right. The cape is good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. I um, Again, you may be right. It happens to players all the time. It, you know, Conforto had his ups and downs. Yes. Yeah. Um, just looking at some of the early in the season, you know, where are teams struggling? Where are their moves to be made? Mm-hmm. Um, where can the Mets possibly shore up some spots where they can make some moves? And there are two big names out there. Yes, there are. Um, both who could certainly you know benefit the Mets. There's Dallas uh, Dallas Keigel and Craig Kimbrell who are just sitting out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that Kimbrell wants to be a closer. Yeah. The Mets are committed to Edwin Diaz, who is available at a very affordable price. So bringing Kimbrell is probably a non-starter, but bringing in Dallas Keigel are possibly a short deal at this point. Um, I don't think he'd sign a one-year, but you never know. You never know. You may be able to get a, a two-year deal at this point. Nobody yeah. else is making the move. The other, you know, the thing to be concerned about is if you look at some of Kengel's numbers, his strikeout rates are down, his numbers are trending downward, but he's still a well-above-average um, starting pitcher. Yeah. And you know, I know that the Mets have been checking in on him, kicking the tires and seeing what the price is, but if you 
I mean, can you, as we learned, you can't have too much starting pitching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mets going and saying, hey, you know what? We'll sign you to a two-year deal. Sends a... I think that is a, is a big edge. Yeah, it, you know, we continue to have the... Uh, endure the Jason Vargas experience, which is always a, a rocky road. I want to just, like... Here's Jason Vargas... Had a you know salvaged the second half of last season, mm-hmm. yeah. put together a really yeah. good second half. I didn't notice it until this year. The sweatiest men of all time. <laughs> Entirely possible. I don't. I've yeah. never seen anyone. I. Jason Vargas sweats like me watching a Mets game, <laughs> which is a lot because I'm a real is, nervous fan. The thing is, is that when Vargas is not going well, he sweats. When he is going well, and remember, he's only a couple of years removed from being an all-star. Yeah. When he is going well, he glistens. True. So, Jason, never let him see you sweat. Always let them see you glisten. Listen. (laughs) Always glisten. Yeah. Yeah, I I would love to, only because, like, I want to just see the Mets making moves. Yeah. It feels in, you know, we talked about what does changing the culture mean? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a culture change. That's a... We're not going to be the Mets who are going to just wait and see what happens and hope something falls in our laps. Essentially, though, this is falling into their laps. Yes. It's falling into the laps of 29 other teams. Yes. I'm surprised that the Yankees haven't made a move. Um, I mean, unless... There aren't like half their players on the I.L. Right. Unless... I said I.L. I got it right. <laughs> Hooray. Unless his his asking price is so exorbitant. Yeah. But at this point, again, he's he's leaving money on the table right now. Yeah. Um, we will see. As far as like other deals, like I haven't seen like who's on the block. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's really become well. All right, here's the question: um, the 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 big sort of you know team that has come out of the gate really really badly are the Cubs, and the rumors are already swirling that they may dump, and so you know. There are a lot of really good players on that team that might be available. There are a lot of really good players on that team that might be attractive to trade for giving away some younger players that we will then regret for a very, very long time. Um, We always talk about the specter of, you know, the Robbie Alomar trade and things like that. I'm not saying this would be the same situation. I think the more interesting thing is... There's been some criticism of Mickey Calloway and his um, his management and his you know some of his choices. Um, whether or not that's fair or not uh, is debatable. But when you have a manager who makes questionable moves, everybody wants to speculate on whether or not they're going to be kept around. Right. Add that to it's we've talked about this before the the uncomfortable situation of a general manager who didn't hire the who manager didn't hire him. And that adds a level of stability. So here's the question I pose to you. The Cubs fire Joe Madden. Do the Mets make a run at him? Yeah. I don't think they do. No? Because I don't think Joe Madden wants to manage in New York. Mm. Um, not that Chicago is an easy town. Chicago for you know is a is a is a is an intense sports town. But it's a different kind of intensity yeah. than New York. Yeah. And I think that um, Joe Madden's approach isn't going to play in New York. I yeah. hate to, I hate yeah, to say that. Possibly. 
Um, I think that New York is not a town where you can try to be the smartest guy in the room. Because somebody will try to be smarter than you. Bobby Valentine has learned that lesson right. again and again and yeah. again and again. So I don't know that it's necessarily the um, you know the right move. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, the role of the manager at this point is um, is not as important as it used to be. Mm-hmm. I think it depends what kind of team you have. If you have a, a young team um, who is who is building, uh, you have Tampa Bay of a couple of, of you know pre two thousand eight. You've got the two thousand seven Tampa Bay Rays, and you know that you've got players coming up. You want a guy like Joe Madden mm-hmm. who will teach a philosophy, who will take heat off players, who will be the focus of the organization. Um, you know, I think Joe Madden is great when you are a team building to something, but when the spotlight is on you, I don't know that that necessarily is the right place to be. Yeah, I, I say the counterpoint to that is it, it's easy to forget. Take Cano out of the picture. Take Cespedes out of the picture. This is a really young team all over the place. If you take those two guys out of the picture our kind of oldest, most experienced players are Jacob deGrom and, believe it or not, Michael Conforto. Like, this is a very young team. Nimmo, McNeil, Alonzo. Um, um, I, I guess you also have to, to factor in Wilson Ramos as sort of on, on, on the older right. side. But still, the core of this team that's coming together is predominantly really young. Right. Um, and I always forget that, you know, DeGrom and Syndergaard and Mats have been around for a few years, so we forget sometimes. I mean, Travis Darno has been here been yeah. since 2014? Yeah. 13, 14? I don't remember, but around A lot of Darno. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're still pretty young. And, like, a core of Alonzo and Nimmo and McNeil and Conforto um, could be here for a really long time. Maybe I would I would hesitate on McNeil. I think I think we've seen McNeil's ceiling. Mm. It's, it's he's a, I think he's a great complimentary player. Um, I think that the Jeff McNeil we have now is probably not going to be better than when Justin Turner was a Met. <laughs> Let's take Justin Turner as a Dodger out of the out of the equation. But Justin Turner as a Met, um, solid on base percentage, um, could hit for doubles, could play around the field. Um, Decent player. Mm-hmm. And then the Mets will non-tender him, and he will go somewhere and, and put up MVP caliber numbers. I don't know. You can't sneak that cheap past the squirrel. <sighs> that's everything. And I will also forever be suspicious of Justin Turner. Yeah. I <laughs> I will I, I will always don't have questions. Don't say that too loud here in L.A. I know. Come for you. But I will yeah. always have All suspicions right. so about excited. Justin Turner. So we're excited. We're cautiously optimistic. You know, not everything is perfect, which I think is fine. Like last year, we were a little like eleven and one. We're not going to lose anymore, and right. then that was you know smacked in the face I with mean, a series of pies. At this point, so they're seven and four, which means they're halfway to my goal of eight losses on the season. Yes. So I don't, I'm just curious, like, how do you think they're going to space these four losses they have left out? Um, they're probably all going to come against the Braves. So this weekend, they're yeah. going to they're going to pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. So the Mets are, are playing, uh, it's a Thursday when we're recording this, the Mets are playing the Braves tonight. And historically, 
the Braves have just been where the Mets go to die. Although, have we looked at the numbers on SunTrust Park? And have yeah, they're not, they're not, not good. They're <laughs> not good? Are they as bad as Turner Field? No, okay. but the Mets have a losing record in the two right. seasons that they've been going to SunTrust Park. Can we can we talk park factor for sure. a second? You know, I'm not, you know, we've talked in the past. I'm not the stat guy. Uh, stats don't really interest me all that much. You can get lost in that. I am really fascinated, though, by there has been a conversation in the past several weeks about... What is it about City Field and that the park factors for City Field don't match anywhere else and how the um, the averages for Met, the Mets offense at City Field is so much lower than it is on the road. It has to and, and that's been the case ever since it opened. There has to be something happening with the park. I've never been able to figure that out. And yeah. park factors are a thing that are hard to define. Yeah. Because park factors are everything from the weather yeah. to literally the physical layout of the building to the surroundings. How yes. does the wind hit the hit the thing? And one of the things they talked about was how they brought the fences in a few years ago with the thought that because the first few years they were like, oh my god, it's impossible to hit home runs here. The the fences are too far out. We have to bring the fences in. And what seems to have happened is the fences have come in. It's not that much easier to hit a home run, but it's harder to hit doubles now. Yeah. There's there's less space, so balls are falling less. But it's not it has to be more than that. So this is I think is is a big mystery. And it would be really interesting if somebody could just sort of get on this and figure it out. Well, because as of this year, we have ten years of yeah. city field data. Yeah. To choose from, and how has it changed a year? Yeah. Like, look at the two years, or maybe it was only one year, where the fences were were back as far as they were in two thousand nine. How has it shifted since then? And you know, City Field, I thought, always played as um, a pitcher's park, not mm-hmm. to the level that Chase Stadium did. Has that changed? Like, and yeah. why does it appear to be a hitter's park for the visiting team and not for the Mets? Not for the Mets, yeah. I mean, but it would also be interesting to see if that. I mean, that drop in average is not as precipitous for the visiting teams, but I think it's there also. Right. I'm not sure of that. But, but yeah, that's a fascinating thing. And, and it would be, I'm going to be really interested to see if they can figure out what is causing that. It's, I would love to yeah. figure out. I'm going to pin it on um, the old junkyards. Yeah, probably. Yeah, something, something was burning in that old tire fire. Yeah. That's, that's causing this. I really do need to get myself back home yeah. and get to a game. I was yeah. looking at the schedule. Um, what I'm looking forward to right now is the Mets are doing an early trip to San Diego this year. Yes. And they're an early trip to L.A. this year, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's not the same trip. Oh. Um, so they're in L.A. Who is making the schedule this year? Schedule of drives. Like, are they crazy. going from San Diego to Syracuse to L.A.? Is that what's happening? I think it's one of those. They also somehow go to Vancouver. It's a weird... Yeah. There's an Ottawa trip. Yeah. And, of course, they have to schedule a specific drug test for Dominic Smith at 2 a.m. That's very important. You can't forget that. <laughs> Can we just say here's the difference between this year's team and previous year's team? There is a urine-based situation... And the team and the person who is at the center of it is laughing along with it instead of taking it personally. Yeah. That to me is all you need to know about it's, the difference in, in, in this team. It, it definitely feels like a different team. This is the culture. 
We're yes. going to go after players. We're going to win games. We're going to pee in cups at 2 a.m. <laughs> the D and JD is always going to stand for Gregory. <laughs> it's your 2019 Mets. Can I can I say one thing I've discovered that sure. I'm enjoying is is when JD Davis um, hits a run or, or or gets a big hit or makes a throw to first base that actually gets there in time. Um, I have discovered that it's a lot of fun to use gifts uh, to post gifts from Heather's. Oh, nice! Uh, because Christian Slater's character was named JD, so mm-hmm. that kind of works out really well. Uh, that, that's a fun, fun little you know social media tip for uh, for all you fans out there. All the kids out there, get your get your Heather's gifts uh, ready. Yeah, I did see. Speaking, we're going to just age ourselves here. Um, I did see something where a uh, a young writer watched Heather's for the first time. Oh yes, and uh, and was horrified by it. And yeah. like you know what, kids will figure things out in their own time. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that is a fantastic movie. Um, I wanted to just while we're talking about great things, mm-hmm. um, if you have got. The uh, got the means to see an Oakland A's game hmm. on TV or in person. You have got to watch um, Ramon Laureano in the outfield. Really, I have watched. Um, he's playing uh, center field. I'm sorry, he's playing right field for the um, for the A's. Um, he he was major leaguer. He was up with the team for a brief time last year. I think he got like you know 150 at bats last year. Put up decent numbers, but what he showed was he has got an Ichiro-like arm. Oh, really? In right field. Okay. So I was watching him play last Monday against the Red Sox. Just saw him make two unbelievable throws. Okay. Just one of those like, oh my goodness, like wow. Yeah, it just. They're on MLB.com. Okay. Just go to the, go right. to the A's. You if, you, if you have not seen Ramon Laureano make a throw from the outfield, it's a, it's a thing of beauty. You have it's, not seen Shakespeare the way it's meant to be played. It is why we watch baseball. Nice. It okay. is those things where you're I'm, – I'm watching him play against the Red Sox with a diehard Red Sox fan. And he was like, oh, man, you, wow. can't, you just can't do anything about that. <laughs> it's just one of those stop, stop hitting it to the guy in right. He's too good. Yeah. Anybody around baseball that's catching your eye on um, the non-Mets? I, mean, I, I don't do a lot of, uh, I don't do a lot of uh, watching of the other teams. I will say, oh, what is that guy's name? There's a guy on the Twins who we saw this week. Uh, their catcher. Oh, no, no. Uh, they're um, the little Bartolo. Yeah, the little, little Bartolo. Yes. What was his name? Um, Ash, I'm going I'm gonna, to I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher his name. Hold up. Astadio? Is that how it's that pronounced? That's about right. I believe it's pronounced Astadio. Um, I, I love it. He, he looks like a little Bartolo Cologne at the bat. Um, and just swings at everything. He looks like he, he's a lot of fun yeah. to watch. And um, if, if I read correctly... His brother is actually in the Mets minor league. Is yeah, is a nineteen-year-old. So, so we might have uh, our own little. Uh, uh, here we go, Astadio. As yeah, Williams Astadio. Williams Astadio. There we go. Yeah. Yes. Um. He's, he again. He's he's like five foot nine. Yes. Two fifty. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah. Imagine Kirby Puckett, but wider. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is. Um, and I think Ron Darling mentioned this on the game last night. It's like we always thought about Kirby Puckett as a short, squat guy um, who couldn't keep his hands to himself. Um, Kirby yeah. Puckett was also 50 pounds lighter than Astadio wow. is. 
Speaking of wide players, it was pointed out to me, and I could not believe I didn't notice this beforehand, but now that I have been, been shown, I can't not see it. Wilson Ramos, five letters in his last name, wears number 40. Oh, boy. He looks a lot like our old buddy when he comes up to that. Just imagine if Bartolo could really hit, and it just it makes me feel happy. It what if what if it's not is Bar- with us? What if it is Bartolo, and like one day he takes off the mask and is like, <laughs> "It's me, buddy." That you got be, Bartolo. That would be the greatest trick. In the, that would be better than Sid Finch. That is also why, even if the Mets, you know, even if hey, you know what. Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard get drafted to go to <laughs> Vietnam. Wow, no, that's a time warp. God that's dark. Like, the Mets will not bring Bartolo Colon back because that represents a past era where the Mets were about, hey, look, it's this fun guy. Yeah. And now they're about winning ball games. But yeah, let's just hope that DeGrom and, and Noah Syndergaard don't go to Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> Although I have been to Vietnam and it's lovely. Maybe they'll go on a vacation, not during the season, guys. But they're like, like, we got a discount on the flights. Speaking of long flights, so we 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 mentioned um, we mentioned last time, uh, friend of the pod Matt Callen Mm -hmm. um, has his new book out, yells for ourselves uh, about the Mets in 1999 and 2000, and I I just finished reading it recently. It's wonderful. So many memories came back, not the least of which. Uh, the Mets opened the 2000 season in uh, Japan, the two games in Japan, and the most memorable part of that was uh, how much Ricky Henderson hated it. Yes. And the quote from him about the, the length of the flight was, Ricky don't need no plane. So... Uh, Put that in your books. Like, uh, put that tattooed on you somewhere. That reminds me of... Are you familiar with Marvin Barnes? Marvin Barnes. Marvin Barnes was an, uh, was an ABA and NBA player. Uh-huh. And was a basketball legend. Was uh-huh. just one of those guys who could just... He looked like a man among boys when he was mm-hmm. on the court. And uh, this was during the ABA, and they were taking these regional charter flights. And I believe they were going from, like, St. Louis... Like, they were just, they were going from, like, Houston to St. Louis or something, where they were just going to cross over. Like, they were starting very close to where the time change was. So they were basically leaving at 7 a.m., but landing at 6.59. Mm-hmm. And Marvin was like, I ain't getting in no time machine. <laughs> and he left, and he rented a car yeah. and, <laughs> and drove to the next game. Okay. So. Okay. You know, speaking of Vietnam and this era of, of the teams, I, I have... Uh, I haven't talked a lot of... I've mentioned this in the past. Uh, I don't talk a ton about my ex-wife, mm-hmm. um, but um, she and I went through the 99 and 2000 games together. Um, we went to a ton of games. It was a big part of our relationship. Um, and if you'll recall, um, after 2000, uh, Mike Hampton went to Colorado right. because of their great school systems. I wonder how, I wonder um, how these kids are doing these days. Yes. Well, and, I hope. And, but the other thing to remember is that he got off to an awful start in Colorado, yeah. and 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 just was just a terrible, terrible time 
So I want to give my ex-wife credit because the funniest thing she ever said to me was we uh, went to Vietnam. Um, when, after we got married, Vietnam was where we went on our honeymoon. And at a certain point, we went to this uh, city called Dalat. Dalat was in the mountains. Um, it was like a retreat city where it got, when it got too hot in the lowlands, the rich people would go up to Dalat because it was high up and it was cool. And um, so it was like over a, a, a mile in elevation. So we're driving up the road to Dalat. We pass a sign and it says, you know, elevation one mile. And I kind of pointed out to her and she says, this is an all timer. She says, does that mean Mike Hampton can't pitch here either? <laughs> so I just want to give her the credit for that. That's very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, it's yeah. a good one. A lot of memories reading this book. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Highly recommend it to any, any Met fan. I recommend it to everybody. Everybody go out and buy this um, on Inkshares. Um, but um, one thing, there's one thing that really stuck out to me uh, in reading this book, which is, man, the B-writers used to be assholes. And, and that includes a lot of references to articles and, and comments and sort of skirmishes between players and beat writers and stuff. And, and you know, what, I pulled one out uh, as a reference. So uh, game two of the 1999 NLCS against Atlanta, when Kenny the, Roger, Kenny the Gambler Rogers started and um, was left in too long. Right. And Valentine should have taken him out, and he didn't. And here is the quote from Jeff Perlman, uh, who was writing for Sports Illustrated at right. the time. Uh, didn't he also write the, the the worst team money could buy book? Isn't that Jeff No, Perlman? I think Jeff Perlman wrote The Bad Guys Won. Oh, The Bad Guys Won. Yeah. Right, okay. So Jeff Perlman described Valentine not pulling Rodgers at the right moment as, quote, the worst bit of managerial ineptitude in baseball history. Wow. So here's what I started thinking. In 99, 2000, the beat writers, uh, you know, all the papers and the, the burgeoning online outlets had this really contentious sort of relationship. Nowadays, the beat writers, I, I think pretty universally, um, are not assholes. At yeah, least in their, in their columns, in their writing. They can take strong lines. They can have strong opinions. And I've started wondering whether or not the advent of the internet and the advent of, of blogs and social media where every fan gets to describe every managerial blunder as the worst managerial ineptitude in baseball history, whether or not that has freed up the beat writers to not have to do that anymore and to feel like they can be more measured and more adult, that they can be more more of the adults in the room, as opposed to the screaming hordes on Twitter. Um, even when you know we, we talked in the past about Mark Carrig wrote that blistering article in the Athletic uh, as he was leaving um, to the, the Mets beat, which you know he took the Will Ponds to task for the way they ran the team, but even that was factual. It was measured, 
And it was simply saying, like, look, you said you wanted to do this and you're not doing it. And so something else has to be going on. But he wasn't a dick about it. Right. He didn't insult them. These were not ad hominem attacks. Um, and it, so it feels like something has shifted over the last 15 years. And I think for the better. Yeah. I, I wonder, like, you were talking about, like, the Internet. And the Internet, for better or for worse leveled the field where everybody could have a voice. Mm -hmm. So the thing that separates your beat writers now from you and I mm -hmm. is that the beat writers have access. Yeah. And I wonder if some of that more measured tone is they now need to maintain that access. They can't afford to throw, you know, to fire a shot over the bow mm -hmm. because, first of all, it gets lost in the... 10,000 other people calling it the worst thing. Yeah. Um, but again, when you're the person who has to go sit in front of Mickey Calloway or Bobby Valentine right. or anybody else, the fact of the matter is the sports media landscape has changed to yeah. where even the best of writers can't afford to burn those bridges if they want to keep that access. There are very yeah. few people who, as writers, can take the risk of really saying that. I don't know how much I believe that access journalism is an issue. I um, mean, I disagree because, yeah. you know, organizations, you know, Yahoo Sports used to be the best, mm -hmm. like for online like sports coverage. They pay teams for access now. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. paying. Yahoo is covering the Mets mm -hmm. and paying the Mets for the privilege. You think that yeah. Yahoo Sports is not going to... I mean, part of it is also the, you know, destruction of journalism right. across the board, um, that there are less jobs and there are less writers, so maybe there is a sense that, you know, they can't risk alienating people. Uh, I think that's slightly different than the access issue, but I also do think there's something to the fact that, you know, there's a... Like, if the beat writers in days of past were filling a hole, filling a need of a huge amount of disenfranchised fans who didn't have a platform to say what they felt. The fans have that platform now. Right. They don't need the beat writers to do that anymore. Um, a few can sort of, I think, uh, create a niche of reflecting the, the anger and the ire of fans, but you have to, have, you have to be able to do more than that now. So I, I, I think we're better off now. I think the, the, the state of the content itself, whether or not it's harder for the, the, the writers to, to make that living, whether or not it's, and it's certainly harder. Like, let, let me be clear, it is certainly harder. They have a much more perilous existence. But on the other hand, the content that they produce, I think, is a lot better. I don't know if I agree with you. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know we tend to, so a lot of things we see the same way. I think that um, professional sports coverage, beat writing coverage has gotten worse. You think? I think that um, I like the more adversarial. Like I, look, I will tell you that I couldn't do that. Mm. I'm stepping away from the microphone one second because my dog, oh, there she goes, she stopped. My, that noise you've been hearing in the background is my dog Olive making noise. I don't really, um, I like old school um, sports journalism. It was a lot of it was bravado. A lot of it was macho garbage. A lot of it was um, perpetuating stereotypes and perpetuating myths that needed to die. Um, but it was honest, mm. and I feel like the beat writer who relies on access 
just doesn't have the freedom to do that. The mm. problem with the fan part of it is that so little of it is vetted. Yeah. And I no longer use Twitter mm. because I just couldn't successfully vet the noise from the things I wanted to read. Mm. Even when I broke it down to, you know, keywords and lists, you just never know. For me, I have a finite number of hours in a day. Yeah. I want to I read good writing. Yeah. And... You know, there are certain writers who write about baseball who I really like, and for the most part, they're not beat writers. I like I like what Tim Britton does with them because it does give me, yeah. like, a, that's good access. Yeah. But he's telling you what's going on in the clubhouse. Um, he's not, I don't think he's doing a lot of analysis on, here's what I think about mm-hmm. what's going on, because he's not being asked to do that. Yeah. Because that's just not what the media landscape is like right now. I guess I guess what it comes down to for me is the way it used to be in, in, in the old days. Um, there was just a lot of hate and yeah. anger. Well, because it was all male dominated. I'm not interested in that. Right. No. Like I just it, it, it it's the same reason why I don't read a lot of like movie and TV criticism online anymore because it's a lot of just trying to count coup. It's a, a lot of being able to prove that you can you know, be better than some thing that you don't actually have any access to. And that's boring to read, and it's depressing. Yeah. I'm much more interested in people who are going to write about what joy they find in the experience, mm-hmm. what um, what is interesting and compelling. And even when they discuss what's not working, they do it from a point of view of you know, trying to analyze or speculate on what it might be instead of coming from a place of blame or entitlement. And that's the thing that drives me crazy about, and what used to drive me crazy about bad beat writing. And now it's all like the online fans, which are easier to ignore, where it's the sense of like, everything should be better always and any mistake is unforgivable. Yeah. And I just have no time for that in my life anymore. I'm not a Yankee fan. I don't need to live like that. Yeah. I think, look, I, I'm a believer in your approach of focusing on the things that bring you joy. Yeah. Start a podcast about things that make you happy. There's an idea. Get a podcast where like, hey, you know what? We're not going to sit here and rip the team. Yeah. We're going to talk about what we like. Uh, we should definitely look into it. Is there a podcast that does that? There might be. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll research podcasts that can do that. Let's, let's look into that. Until then, this has been Flushing Transit Authority. And we'll see you. At the the baseball baseball movies. movies.